I'm going to read this passage from Matthew chapter 1 at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man to the law, yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And listen to this carefully. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Say that with me. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. A friend of mine who pastors in South Florida, he went to an eye doctor the other day and he was complaining of dizziness and severe headaches and all kinds of problems with his sight. And the doctor finally came in and said, well, here's the issue. We're going to strengthen these lenses and do a couple other things. He goes, but, but what about the dizziness? What about the headaches? What about the nausea? How are you going to deal with that? And here's what she said. If we get the lenses correct, everything else will take care of itself. And that's what needs to happen right now when our lens of, of Christmas is being so corroded by commercialism and, and secularism. We need to get our lens refocused again on what Christmas is actually all about. The truth is a lot of Christians have forgot what Christmas is really all about. I mean, think about all the things that try to, you know, interlope and get in the way of that true meaning. The lens of Christmas has gotten distorted. And so what we want to do today is refocus on what things matter, amen, versus the things that don't matter. The lens of Christmas, what's it about from whose perspective? God's perspective. It doesn't matter what our perspective is. It doesn't matter whether it's some kind of, you know, compromised view of what it's all about. And even today, in as many movies and as much industry there is out there about Christmas, you very rarely see the real meaning of Christmas portrayed. All oh, that may throw in a nativity scene here and there, and a chorus or a hymn here and there. But the bottom line is, even the so-called ministers in these movies will not use the name Jesus, as if it's a four-letter word. The reality is, we should be amplifying that name in this season, not diminishing that name. Why? Because He shall save us from our sins. What's Christmas all about? Lean in, because this is deep. Sin. Christmas is about sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christmas is about sin. Charlie Brown. Amen. Aren't you glad you came today to this celebration? <laughs> Understand this. It's not about the lights. It's not even about, you know, Christian services. It's not about the food. It's not about the family. It's not about Santa. It's not about his reindeer. It's not about the movies. It's about one thing, sin, what it did to us and his remedy for us. You see, there can't be great news of joy for all people until they embrace the reason 
that he came. It can't be. And that's why you can't drink yourself into enough joy unless you deal with the sin issue. You can't buy enough presents, amen, to somehow get out from under the weight of the sin and oppression that is there because of our own mistakes and failures. There's nothing you can do at all to get to a place where there's peace without dealing with a sin issue. Secular culture has descend Christmas. And in descending Christmas, they have taken Christmas's meaning out altogether. We're going to put it right back in there again. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. Christmas, Christmas is about, is about sin. sin. Charlie Brown. Plain and simple, that's why he came. And aren't you glad he did? I said, aren't you glad he did? When I look at Genesis chapter 1, I see God's heart for his people. And it hasn't changed, just a few verses here. And I'm going to read from uh, the uh, NIV 87, verse chapter uh, 126. And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, keep in mind the very first words a human being ever heard were blessing, not curse. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, this will be yours for food. And then over in um, chapter 2, Looking, I guess, at uh, verse 7, the Lord God Himself, said, the Lord God Himself formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and He became a living being. Hebrew indicates He became a speaking spirit like God Himself. I want you to notice something here, that from the very beginning it was God's will that you be blessed. And if it ever was God's will... It's still God's will. Pay attention to when you see the first mention of a concept in Scripture because the first mention reflects His perfect will. In this case, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's not just a story of a man's fall. It's a story of what man fell from and God's attempt to get man back to that high place. In Genesis, there are four dimensions of this particular blessing. We understand that the blessing of God means to empower you to, to prosper, to succeed, to increase, to have longevity, to have, you know, to bear much fruit in your life. Say, I am blessed. I'm supposed to be that way. Does that make sense? But I want you to see the, the, the gifts or the blessings that came with this particular manifestation and understanding of Scripture. The first thing He gave them, of course, was very life. In their breath. That means spiritual life and physical life. And life that was never supposed to end. The God kind of life. If you have nothing else to rejoice about, rejoice that you're alive. Second of all, rejoice that you will never die. Your your body will go by way of, of death, but you yourself will live forever. I tell you, it pays to be a Christian. Hallelujah. It pays to understand what Christmas is all about. You were given life, and life more abundantly, and eternal life. You were also given His image. We've never seen Him. We've seen Jesus in terms of how He's portrayed. 
But I'm not a bit surprised to see that he has form because we're based on his form. But the real form we're based on is the spiritual form. His character. Say his character. His eternal nature. Everything about him, his goodness and his holiness. That's what we were made to be. That's what we were before sin came in. And don't forget this, his glory. You were made in his image, which means you look like he did, which means in the garden, if you could look into the garden through time, you would see two small balls of light bouncing around the garden doing what God told them to do. They were given life and they were given the glory. Listen carefully. The glory is the manifestation of God's presence and his power and his goodness. Say it, his presence, his power, and his goodness. You begin to understand what they were endowed with. You would think, how could they possibly do what they did? Well, you could say the same thing about you and me. <laughs> they were given life. Say life. They were given his image. Say his image. His nature, his character, his eternity, his glory. That's what they had. Third thing he gave them was dominion. They were not to be ruled over. They were to rule over everything in this world except another man. That's how it got perverted. God never called one man to subjugate another man. And men have been subjugating one another through history, regardless of color, creed, or religion. It all came from the same place. Not God. It came from the evil one. But everything else should be under our dominion. And can I tell you something? For those of you that are born again, who know your God, who know the word of God, don't you dare use your mouth to tear this nation up. You use your mouth to bless this nation. It's going forward in the things of God. It will accomplish what God said it will accomplish. Because you still have that as a child of God. Say it, I have dominion. I have life. I have his image. And fourth, you have seed. He gave them the ability to reproduce after their own kind and reproduce through the giving of seed everything they need for life and for godliness. Josephus wrote about the garden and he said they lacked nothing. Everything they needed for life and godliness was put in that garden. They had everything they would always need. And yet man, what? Wanted something else. I don't know about you, but we were set up to succeed. Amen. And then here came the sin in Genesis 3. And the Bible speaks of the curse on the ground because of you. Painful toil you will harvest. In other words, we went from this blessed state to this cursed state. And if you don't believe it, the day that happened, the glory light went out. They lost his image. They lost their eternal life and they're going to die physically. They are dying spiritually because now they're separated from God. If you don't believe that, then why are they hiding from God at that moment? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The ability to get seed to produce for them became a problem and they lost dominion as well. Now that'd be a sad story if God left it that way. But God didn't leave it that way. In 3.15, Genesis 3.15, he already prophesied that there was going to be this battle between the seed of man and, listen, the enemy himself, and who was going to win that battle. In other words, God already ordained a remedy for the sin that took so much away from God's people. Then you read Matthew 1 again, and you find out that he came to save his people from their sin and what they lost because of the sin, the blessing. 
the blessing. It is a story of the blessing given, the blessing lost, and the blessing restored. And now I don't know about you, I'm going to be on the restored side of the blessing. Are you here today? What did he come for? He came to save us from the control of sin. You understand, as we used to say in our Lutheran liturgy when I was just a boy, um, we are in bondage to sin. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It said we were in bondage to sin and unable to free ourselves. But if you give your life to Christ, that control over you is gone. He came to save you. That world out there laughs at us. Are you saved? Are you saved? When you understand what you're saved from, you don't say that sheepishly. You better believe I'm saved. I'm saved from the control of sin. Say the control of sin. I'm saved from the consequences of sin. You want to laugh? I don't care. I'm saved from going to hell. I'm saved from misery. I'm saved from poverty. I'm saved from sickness. I'm saved from depression. Go ahead and laugh. People often laugh about things they don't understand and don't have revelation on. Are you saved? Are you one of those saved people? Amen. Yes, I am. I am saved from the curse. I'm saved from spiritual death. <laughs> I'm saved from everything that is a result of that curse. Classic redemption teaches us that the curse brings with it spiritual death, sickness and disease, poverty and lack. But you and I have been saved from that. And the third thing we've been uh, saved from is the consciousness of that sin. There's not a person in this room that could live with the present day consciousness of everything you've done wrong. You would not survive. There are not enough pills in a bottle, not enough places on a counseling couch to take care of somebody who's walking around with a consciousness of everything they've ever done or said wrong. It's the grace of God that you're not sitting here pining over everything you've done wrong. And if you are, you need to get your heart right. If you are saved, you need to kick the devil out of your life because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. But how many can raise your hands and say, I know what he's talking about. I no longer have the consciousness of everything I've ever done wrong. Glory to God. Put your head down at Christmas time on a pillow knowing there's nothing between you and the Lord. And you're going to bed healthy and excited about what God has for you. But you won't be disappointed if you find yourself in his presence tomorrow morning. Hallelujah. Because there's nothing between you and him. Amen. Glory to God. Say, he saved me from the control and the consequences and the consciousness of my sin. You've heard us repeat this, this verse very much. But in this context, listen to this again. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He went to the cross. He redeemed us. Amen. He dealt with the sin, not just for the sake of the sin, but in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And if you've accepted him, you're qualified. This ought to be the most blessed Christmas you've ever had in your entire life. 
Y'all can do better than that. This ought to be the most blessed Christmas you've ever had in your life. When you realize what he did, not for a you know, Christmas movie, not for a dinner, not for a party, not for lights, not for a tree, not even for a nativity scene, not even for the historical record, but to deal with the sin so he could have his heart back towards you, the blessing. Hallelujah. Let's say it, I'm blessed because a high price has been paid. And I challenge you, don't let some religious, you know, person who doesn't understand this talk you out of it. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Not going to do it. I got a revelation that the son of David, the one who's going to sit on the throne, the Messiah has the power and he's walking by and I'm not going to shut up in Jesus' name. I just found out that my eyes are open and my heart is open and I'm blessed of God. I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to shout out all the more. Amen. I'm blessed. Say like you mean it. I'm blessed. Why? Because you came to deal with the thing that took away the blessing. If the world had any idea how wonderful this is, they wouldn't run from it. But we find that there are various responses out there. You know, some people reject the notion of sin outright. No such thing as sin, or it's completely relative to our opinion. If it's sin to us, then it is sin. No, that's not the issue. If it's sin to God, then it is sin. That's your first mistake. The modern move today is to classify something as an unsin. Therefore, I don't have to deal with it. I don't need a Savior because I'm not in sin. You say, is that prevalent? It is the fastest growing belief in this country. They have replaced any kind of consistency with God's record and authority and His, His, you know, His, His way of living, the way we're supposed to live. They've replaced that with the hyper use of love, saying love is love is love. And that justifies me taking out the sin in every behavior and action I could possibly be involved in. The problem is, if you won't acknowledge that you're a sinner, then you can't be saved. And you can't be blessed. But it is out there in a multitude. There are people in this country, left and right, this is how they live, and now they have what we would call a seared conscience. You would say that we're not to live in sin. They would say, I'm not living in sin. You say, that only happens out there in the world. You'd be amazed how much that mentality and attitude is, is prevalent in the church. If you're living in such a way in contradiction to this word, then it is sin. It doesn't matter if you reclassify it. You heard the prophetic word today early in this service. My word stands. Make another name for it. Try to water it down. It is still sin. And there's a multitude out there that will now reclassify things God says are wrong as what we call unsins, just personal convictions and choices. There's some that reject the notion of sin. They repudiate any standard. Then there are those that ignore the notion of sin. They know there's a standard, but they do little to keep it. They pretend it's not there or they make excuses for it. They, th they say things like this, and it sounds good to the secular ear until you realize there is no salvation outside of Christ. None. 
They say things like, a loving God would never send somebody to hell. Let me help you out with your thinking here. You punched your ticket to hell a long time ago, and it had nothing to do with God. Jesus coming in to die to deal with the sin to restore the blessing is him providing you another train to get on. And if you won't get on the SS salvation, it's not a loving God sending you to hell. You're already on your way there without Christ. And besides that, heaven is a holy place. There will not be any unholiness there. What did people do during COVID in the places of authority if someone in the early stages got COVID? What did they tell them to do? Quarantine, isolate, and the days changed based on the ever-changing science. The thing about science is you never know what it's going to come up with next. They would quarantine them. So they what? Don't infect other people. Hell is a spiritual quarantine. And there will not be the sickness of sin and degradation of disobedience in that place. It just won't be there. There are people that repudiate anything called sin. There are those that somehow ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist. But it is there. And don't tell me you love somebody when you see that train barreling for hell, that you love them. A Christian cannot sit back and watch somebody going to hell and say, well, I love you. No, love to be, do anything you can do. Jump up and down, scream, throw every roadblock, amen. If you have to be seen as weird, strange, goofy, amen. Whatever, because you don't want them to go. Amen. There's some that reject the notion of sin. There's some that ignore the notion of sin. And there are some that accept it. They absolutely know that there is a standard. They're not going to have a seared conscience or an insensitive conscience like those that ignore or pretend it doesn't exist. But they have a tender conscience. Said, I have a tender conscience before the Lord. Can I see the hands of people that just still get convicted from time to time? Is it okay? Make me a bad person? No, it makes you a smart person that you stayed tender before the Lord, that you can still be pricked. When you can't be, or you sit up here in this church and say, I never get pricked, we got to talk. <laughs> we acknowledge the standard. We admit our failure to keep it. We understand the nature of sin. It kills and we apply the only remedy for sin, his blood, and know that if we do, he'll restore the blessing. There's just no bad side of this God thing for the Christian. Well, I'm going through a tough time now, Pastor. Oh, it's all fine and dandy. What about me? Get those words out of your mouth and start confessing again the blessing and watch what God will do. You'll start seeing that life and that image, that glory, that seed go to work for you. You'll start seeing that dominion go to work for you again because you chose not to be a person who ignored it or rejected God's teaching on sin. Shout it out one more time. Christmas is about sin. Charlie Brown. Can't you wait to go to lunch and share that with somebody? Amen. 
What did your, what did your pastor say Christmas is all about? Sin! <laughs> yes, amen. Now, how many of y'all want to have a Merry Christmas? How about Merry the day after Christmas? How about a Merry New Year? How about a Merry January? How about a Merry April 15th? <laughs> Some of you had to think about that one. God did not complicate this thing. He made it as simple as He could make it for us. He wanted us to be redeemed. He paid the price for our redemption. And He told us that we embraced His only method for redemption, that we would enjoy once again the fullness of His blessing. What do you do? Number one, you repent of your sin. Not just the first time you get saved, but whenever there's an issue. How many of you have been serving God a long time? You're long enough to know that the longer you serve Him, the more things come out. The closer you fly to the light of His glory, the more your warts show up. That didn't mean you're suddenly terrible. <laughs> no. It means you're getting close. And His grace, He is showing you. I'm going to conform you even more to the image of Christ. He said in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, and this shows you the, the right attitude and the wrong attitude. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting by his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Can you imagine the Pharisees' mentality of this? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Let me help you out here. Faith people are not complainers and complainers are not faith people. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And history tells us they had a way of saying that word, sinners. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this teaching is out there that says that people don't have to repent is a direct violation of what Jesus himself said. Note that the righteous here do not refer to someone who's in right standing through Christ. It's somebody who in their own estimation does not need to repent. Everyone needs to repent. These folks are not aware of their sin and they don't think they need a spiritual doctor. How many can raise your hand and say, I need a spiritual doctor? Have you ever been to a doctor once and been back to a doctor? What did you go back for? Didn't it work the first time? No, you repent of your sins as a lifestyle in Him. Number two, you're taught this. Confess Jesus as Lord. Watch this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you could declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord. And that's not sheepishly. And it's not just at a decision time or even a baptistry tank. It's boldly every day of your life. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. Say, it will be saved. Say, it will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess in your faith and you are saved. Say, I repent of my sins. And I confess, I confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
you're on your way. But how many like to say in this season that we're in, you like to walk in the fullness of the blessing? There's a dynamic that's missing in the household of faith all over the Western church. And it's this third particular area that God's going to begin, I think, to develop for us as a, as a church as time goes by, how critical this is. Yes, you have to repent. Unless you, yes, you have to confess. But there's more to lordship than just you confessing him. It's doing what that Lord tells you to do. I saw a pastor on a video recently, and he actually died, and he went to heaven, and he was standing before the Lord. And the Lord said, I have to tell you that your righteousness is no different than the Pharisees that you talked about in some of your sermons. He began to say that you are worshiping an idol. He said, I've preached your word. I've led people to you. I've built your churches. You know, I've operated in the gifts of the Spirit. How could you possibly tell me that my, my righteousness is like the Pharisees and that I'm worshiping an idol? He said, you're worshiping an idol just like them. You're worshiping yourself. You're doing what you do for yourself. See, here's the kicker. If you really want the atonement and the redemption through His blood to have its full effect in your life and restoring the blessing. You cannot just say, I'm going to stop with repentance and then confess Him as Lord. He needs to start being your Lord daily. Unpunctuated obedience to Him. Where obedience, disobedience is the exception, not the rule. Listen to this scripture. Luke uh, 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is why so many Christians are stuck in a cycle of sin, repent, confess. Sin, repent, confess. I'm not talking about God sanctifying you. I'm talking about same things over and over again. It's because we've left out the part about the Lordship. The mark of the saved is obedience to the Lord they profess. If you're saved, you're going to do what He tells you to do. We are an extremely independent culture. It has its advantages except when we turn to worship ourselves instead of the one who called us. Come on, shout it out. Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Great, you're repenting. Great, you confess. But somewhere along the line, you have to start living as though you are no longer Lord. That means fidelity to what His Word says. As you understand His Word and have revelation, you do what it says. That means in direct obedience to the Spirit of God, moment by moment. Everybody say moment by moment. The Spirit of God. It means that you respond to correction and instruction from those who are called and appointed to be watchers over your soul. Did you hear the less enthusiasm when I got to that one? <laughs> and learning, you're not going to do this in a day, to get consistent 
in hearing and then doing what he tells you to do. Jesus said, I always do what pleases the Father. I only do what I saw my Father do. I only say what my Father said to say what I actually heard. Oh, I can't live like that. That's Jesus. I got news for you. If you want to go back to conforming to his image, you're going to have to take up that challenge. Let me put it this way. There's not a soul in this, in this place right now watching online that you could not be doing a better job obeying your Lord. I'll just, you know, put your unsanctified self away because that just proved my point. You bowing up like an alley cat just proved there's some work to be done. And as long as you understand that and are committed to it, you're in a good place. Yeah, repent. Yeah, confess. But that should lead you into a lifestyle where he actually is Lord. Um, Kelly, around Father's Day, right after my dad went home to be the Lord, decided I need another dog. <laughs> so she heard about this dog up in Illinois where we got the uh, poodle from her mom and our poodle, uh, Hershey. And we went up there, I guess it was on a you know, Sunday afternoon, and she brought out this one dog. It was an Aussie Doodle, Blue Merle Aussie Doodle, and uh, part Poodle and part Aussie. And uh, she brings him out, and she sets him down. And this dog did not want me picking him up, didn't want to cuddle, ran around. And she said, oh, he just wants to play. She knew that dog was an independent cuss. She knew that at that moment. <laughs> And when he wants to get near you, he will. If he wants to kiss you, he will. But if you want him to do anything, forget it. <laughs> you call him Bluey. We could have, should have called him, I'm not going to do it, because that's the way he lives his life. <laughs> and he's intelligent. You can tell by looking at him. So I was joking with Kelly today. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going up to Illinois, and I'm going to get Bluey's brother for you for Christmas. <laughs> and you know what she told me? She said, you're just like Bluey. <laughs> Independent. <laughs> you see... Just as simple as this is, it's, it really is that last territory for the serious Christian who wants to walk in the fullness of the blessing in these end times. What does that mean? Any honest person knows that, for example, as was Jesus' custom, he went to the synagogue. Yes. That was what his habit um, look at your neighbor and say, thank God you're here today so you comply with that one. Amen. But we in this nation are flunking at basic instructions, let alone unpunctuating you know, obedience to Him. If you're not in the house of God, you're not under His Lordship. I'll take a few more amens on that because after all, we are a Christian church, right? We should be in the house of God. And not only that, you should be in the house where he tells you to go. Well, I go over here for a while, then I go over here for a while, then I go over here for a while. What if your kids did that? Come home Sunday, Mama and Daddy, I'm on a new family today. I'm going to go over here and live with this family. He sets the members of the body 
in place where he wills, according to Paul's teaching. Right? By all, by now we should all be hilarious tithers and givers and sowers. Not grumpy givers. Happy givers. Quick to do it givers. And some of y'all still fighting that battle. What does it mean? It means he's not your Lord. He's not your Lord. You're not doing what he told you to do. When you're out and about this Christmas season and, you know, you're sitting in that um, turpentine line over there in Walmart. <laughs> just so you can be told where to go. Some of you are thinking, I try to tell them where to go all the time, but I repent of it. So and you've got your little four or five items waiting 30 minutes to check out. Wondering where your Christmas bonus is, since you're doing all the work. Next year, I heard you get to unload the, uh, the trucks as well. Amen? So, praise the Lord. <laughs> and here comes somebody with two carts to the full at today's prices. And the Lord says... <laughs> yes, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what happens. Uh-oh. I just had to run in here for a few things. I'm not in that spiritual mindset. I'm taking a, a day off from Lordship. And here comes that familiar voice. I want you to buy everything in their basket. Lord, their baskets. At that moment, you are Lord or he is Lord but both of you can't be at the same time. You say, I'm shy and I don't like to talk to people about Jesus. Jesus, no. In our house, around holiday, no Jesus, no religion, no politics. You're taking all the fun out of it. <laughs> I, I rather enjoy to see people's veins popping out of their neck, you know. You voted for who? Yeah, but I did, at least I didn't vote for somebody's brain dead. Moving right along, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> At that moment, one of you is Lord. And he, he, he presses on you to talk to a neighbor or go pray for somebody. He says, so unlike me, at that moment, you're either worshiping the idol of self or you're worshiping the Lord. Here's what the Spirit of God just exploded in my heart a couple weeks ago. If I just had 10 people in this church do this for a month, you would rock this city instantly. Unpunctuated. Obedience. Not hit and miss, in and out, based on whatever we think we want to do at the time. You ever heard the teaching, you're not your own? You were bought with a price? You've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. You must decrease. He must increase. Paul said, I die daily. It's better for me to what to stay. And I believe the Lord has stuff for me to do, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
the big chunk of the body of Christ, and this is my, my tradition too, never got around to the born again, new birth, salvation teaching. It was sacraments of confirmation and sacraments of, of infant baptism. And that put the grace of the church on your life and you were fine. I never even heard about repent, never even heard about salvation, never heard about confession. But then there's evangelicals, thousands and thousands of us who, who have had the new birth. We do understand that it's, it's by faith in Him, amen. It's uh, the grace of God. And we understand we need to be people that repent and people, you know, that confess Him. We got that far. But there are millions of evangelicals and charismaniacs and Pentecostals who do not have the Lordship thing down. As I had to move from sacrament to new birth, the modern church needs to move from the new birth to unpunctuated obedience Good. in Him. Good. Are there any volunteers out there? Yes. I said, are there any volunteers out there? Yes. Yeah, but you know, sometimes in the course of serving God, I get hurt. Boy, I tell you what, people get on my last nerve, and that's just at the checkout line and, and to pick up a prescription. As long as you're a human being, you're going to get hurt. Well, I'll do what God wants me to do, but if I get hurt in the process, I'm not going to do it anymore. Who did you just elevate as Lord? You're telling the Lord you're not going to do it because you got hurt. I thought you were dead. How could, how could you be hurt when you're dead? Because thou art not dead. <laughs> thou art very much alive. That's the problem. <laughs> Remember old, old, you know, show of Lucy Arnaz. And they were reenacting, you know, an old Roman theater. And, and they both wanted to be the last one to die. <laughs> and so grandiosely, Lucy, Ugh! And lo and behold, her friend pops back up and goes, and not to be undone, Lucy pops back up again and dies all over again. That is a picture of the modern church. Not quite dead. So when you are the Word, amen, and the Spirit, and God-called leadership should have some kind of impact in your life in terms of reflecting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, um, there was a there was an offering taken, and I don't say this to, to build me up at all because I'm like the rest of you. When I hear things that God says, I, I, I say what Sharon said. Uh oh. I <laughs> say uh oh. And um, this church received a very significant offering. I think it was for a pastor appreciation thing. And the reason I remember, I think I know that I remember because I remember uh, seeing something, you know, along that line, and how, how gracious you were in that. And that that very weekend, a man had lost his son tragically. He was 20 years old and didn't have two nickels to rub together to pay for a funeral. I no sooner was told what the offering was, till the Lord. The Lord. I said, the Lord. How do you know it was the Lord? Because it sure wasn't art. 
some of you are like, oh, well, where's that coming from? It ain't coming from the devil. And it's not coming from you. Our instincts are to what? Get all we can. Can all we get and sit on the can. That's our instinct. And he's like, um, you know, once sown seed, twice sown seed. Unfortunately, the funeral home they were working with worked with them for anything else that was that was due, but this took a huge, huge, huge chunk out of it. And you know, I never saw that man again. To this day, I haven't seen that man. Watch yourself saying, "I'll let him be Lord if it doesn't cost me anything. I'll let him be Lord if it doesn't hurt me. I'll let him be Lord if it doesn't disappoint me." You've got to get to the point where he is Lord no matter how you feel, no matter what you think, no matter what you have been through. He is Lord all the time or he is not Lord at all. It's repentance, it's confession, but it is also the Lordship of Jesus Christ day by day. Amen? Attending, serving, praying, giving, stopping on the street, doing whatever God tells you to do. In the process, you're going to see so many cool things happen in your life. And watch this. You're going to live at the apex of what it means to have his life, his image, his glory, the seed of God working for you. Are you here? And dominion in your life like you've never known before when you live with the Lord. Because there's no, nothing to stop that flow in your life. Say it with me. It's Lord Jesus. Hey, Charlie Brown, why did... Jesus come to this earth. What's Christmas all about? Wow, it's not that difficult, really. It's like, <laughs> what's Christmas all about? Sin. And what? What it cost us and the remedy. And I have a really, really, really important announcement to make this Christmas season. The price has already been paid in full. Amen. Amen. Repent, confess, and obey. Say that with me. Unpunctuated, unpunctuated. Obedience. obedience. And do y'all know how fast the devil is going to test you on this whole unpunctuated obedience thing? Probably before you get out of this building. Um, we go through things in our families, in our churches, because people are people are people. Does that make sense? And we don't say, well, those things didn't happen or insignificant, they don't matter. No, they do matter. Things should be handled appropriately. But I'm telling you this, don't base what you do for God on what other people have done or haven't done. It wasn't the Lord that messed with you. He's never done anything but good to you. He never will do anything but good to you. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So I want to ask you today as you bow your heads.